Welcome to the Wise Crone Cottage Podcast with storyteller Kathy Shimpock. Here we'll meet the crone and uncover her wisdom as found in fairy tales, folk tales, and myths. For it is true that stories, as it is with many people, become better as they grow older. Know that no matter how difficult your journey has been through the magical forest, the wise crone always opens her door to you. In this episode, we'll explore the Irish folktale, The Witch's Excursion. It was recorded by Patrick Kennedy in the book, Legendary Fictions of the Irish Celts, published in 1866. Like the grim tale, Frau Hola, here is another story that begins as a myth and became a folktale. We'll discuss how the character of Queen Maeve is reflected in this tale and how the wise crone once again saves the day. A great while ago, when the world was full of wonders. Irish mythology is as rich as it gets. It's filled with many supernatural deities, bigger-than-life heroes, magic, and so much more. In fact, these stories were thought so important that they were later recorded by early Christian scribes. The story I'm sharing with you today is thought to refer back to one of the characters in these ancient tales, Queen Maeve. She is Queen of Connacht in the Ulster cycle of Irish mythology. She is strong-willed, ambitious, cunning, and promiscuous. She is the archetypal warrior queen and willing to do whatever it takes. The story most associated with her is the cattle raid of Cooley. The story begins with Maeve discovering that her husband had one powerful stud bull more than her. Really? Can you believe that? One bull more than her? How can that be? But Maeve insisted that her wealth be equal to her husband's. A very modern perspective, I might add. So she tried to acquire a powerful bull from a neighbor. When negotiations failed, a war ensued, only to be ended by the superhero, Ku Kulain. But that is a story for another day. We have all we need to focus on here. For you see, Maeve was independent and autonomous. She refused to take a back seat to anyone. May's name has been interpreted as Mead Woman or She Who Intoxicates. She is believed by some to represent the sovereignty goddess. The drinking of mead was a key part of the king's inauguration ceremony. In mythology, the goddess chooses a king by offering him an alcoholic drink, and in doing so, she bestows sovereignty upon him. As you listen to this story, see if you can find Maeve in the magic, the intoxication, and the journey of Seamus Rua. But now, a story. Not in my time, not in your time, but in the wise crone's time. This story is based on the version collected by Patrick Kennedy 
but I have updated the language and expanded the story a bit to make it more easily understandable today. The Witch's Excursion Seamus Rua, which in English means Red James, was awakened from his sleep one night by noises in his kitchen. Creeping to the door, he saw half a dozen old women sitting around the fire, joking and laughing. His old housekeeper, Match, was quite frisky and gay, completely out of character. She was helping her sister Crohn's to cheering glasses of punch. Shaman was beginning to admire Match, for it was highly impudent and imprudent to invite her friends into his house. But then he remembered how insistent she was earlier that evening. Madge had urged him to drink a hot toddy, which she had brought to his bedside just before he fell asleep. Had he drunk it, he would never have heard what was going on, or at least that's what he thought. Instead, Seamus heard and saw the group drink to his health in such a mocking manner that it nearly tempted him to charge at them, broom in hand. But fortunately, he restrained himself. The jug being emptied, one of the crones cried out, Is it time to be gone? And at the same moment, putting on a red cap, she added, By Yarrow and Rue and my red cap too. I over to England. Making use of a twig which she held in her hand like a stick horse, she gracefully soared up the chimney and was rapidly followed by the rest. But when it came to the housekeeper, Seamus interposed. By your leave, ma'am, said he, snatching twig and cap. Ah, you distasteful old crocodile. If I find you here on my return, there'll be wigs on the green. Or, as we might say today, there will be hell to pay. By yarrow and rue and my red cap too, hi over to England. The words were not out of Seamus's mouth when he was soaring above the ridge pole and swiftly plowing through the air. The wind blew his hair and the landscape flashed before his eyes. He was careful to say nothing, for he knew something about witch lore. If he had said a single word, the spell would have been broken. He would have fallen in a tumble and returned home immediately from this expedition. In a very short time, the group had crossed the Wicklow Hills, the Irish Sea, and the Welsh Mountains, and were charging at whirlwind speed towards the hall door of a castle. Seamus would have cried out for help, half expecting to crash into the door at any moment, but he remembered the need to be silent when in the company of witches. So, preparing himself, he fully expected to be mummified once his body hit the hard oak door, speeding closer and closer before him. But, all bewildered, he found himself passing through the keyhole instead. Before he knew it, he was then flying along a passageway, then down a flight of stairs, and finally through a cellar door keyhole. 
This was happening so quickly, he didn't even have time to figure out what was going on. When Seamus awakened, he found himself sitting on a cask. There was plenty of lights glimmering around, and he and his crone companions were drinking together. Each had a full tumbler of frothing wine, and they were hobnobbing and drinking to each other's health as joyously and recklessly as if the liquor was theirs. Even more astounding, they were sitting in Seamus' own kitchen. Wearing that red cap had transformed him, for Seamus was no longer himself, but behaving just like his unholy companions. Oh my, it wasn't long before the liquor got the best of them. After a brief time of ecstasy, a period of unconsciousness ensued. Then, as might be expected after a bad bender, Seamus awoke to a headache dizziness, and scattered sight. Poor Seamus. But instead of being in his kitchen, Seamus had the impression that he had been roughly seized and shaken and dragged upstairs and subjected to a disagreeable interrogation by the lord of the castle in his stateroom. There was much ridicule among the whole company, gentle and simple on hearing Seamus's explanation for no one believed him. And somehow he had moved through time too and was now in the Dark Ages. After all was said and done, the unlucky man from Leinster was sentenced to be hung as soon as possible, at least as soon as the gallows could be ready. All this for putting on a red cap, chanting a spell, and flying through a keyhole. All for drinking a stranger's liquor while sitting in his very own kitchen. Or so we thought. The poor Hibernian, that is an Irish native, was in a cart proceeding on his last journey. He had a sign on his back and another on his breast, marking him as the remorseless villain, who for the last month had been drinking dry the cask in the Lord's fault every night. Seamus was surprised to hear himself addressed by name and in his native tongue. An old woman in the crowd was crying out to him, Ah, Seamus, Alana, is it going to die you in a strange place without your cap'n de Yarig? Or as we might say today, Hey, Seamus, my dear, are you going to die today in a strange place without your red cap on? Somehow, These odd words brought hope and courage to the poor man's heart. He turned to the Lord of the manor and humbly asked if he could die wearing his red cap. He thought it had dropped from his head when he was in the vault. A servant was sent for the headpiece, and Seamus felt a lively hope warming in his heart while placing it upon his head. On the platform, the condemned man was graciously allowed to address the spectators. He began to speak the usual words composed for the benefit of flying stationers, those we might call today news reporters. Good people all, let my life be a warning to you, he began. But when he had finished the line, my parents reared me tenderly, 
he unexpectedly added quickly, By yarrow and ruin my red cap too, hie over to Ireland. The disappointed spectators who were awaiting his execution saw him shoot up obliquely through the air in the style of a skyrocket that had missed its aim. It is said that the Lord took the circumstance much to heart and never afterwards hung a man for 24 hours after his offense. And what happened to Seamus? Oh, what didn't happen to Seamus? While the story doesn't say, I imagine him sitting in the kitchen with many old crones drinking and storytelling, for with that red hat on his head, Seamus had many a story to tell. You may be wondering how I know these old stories, but that is a story for another day. The moral of the story is... We can look at this story in two ways. One is the reference to Queen Maeve, which some say is Madge. The story is about her relationship with Seamus Rua, a drunken initiation of sorts and a pairing with the sovereign goddess. That's a stretch, perhaps, but we can see the elements there. It's reminiscent of the goddess rather than a mirror image. Sylvia Britton Pereira writes of Madge in her book, Queen Maeve and Her Lovers. So powerful that like a modern superwoman, she can cross seas and solid boundaries and rescue her chosen mortal from secular judgment and even death. But perhaps there is another way of viewing it too. The story appears to be about witches, but Ireland has few witch stories. Ireland was not part of witch-burning Europe, and the lore of witches on broomsticks was not part of its narrative. The usual type of European witch is unknown in the Celtic traditions and only existed in the parts of Ireland under Norman influence. So that means the story may be later, influenced by England or other lands, with more witch mania. This is a story of Seamus Rua, not of Madge. He's a rich man, wealthy enough anyway to have a housekeeper, Madge. But Madge is not an ordinary housekeeper. There is more to her than simply cleaning house, cooking, and caring for Seamus. She offers him something to drink, hoping he will take it and fall asleep. That way, nothing will be discovered. But Seamus doesn't drink the potion and is awakened by all the revelry. He creeps into the room to see it filled with old women drinking and carousing. He becomes a witness to the event. My guess, this isn't the first time this has happened too. The old women probably meet quite often in his home without his knowledge, for they mock him when toasting his health. You fool, Seamus, you don't even know what's going on in your own house, I hear them saying. Yet there is nothing in this bevy of women that indicates wisdom. So while they are most certainly crones, they aren't wise crones. But soon the revelry is over, and they are casting spells for an adventure. In more modern folklore, that would indicate witches. But remember, in Irish folklore, they might instead be Seanvans. These are old unmarried women who have traveled with a fairy host to various locations. It is through this magical travel that they acquire extraordinary knowledge. 
These are usually benevolent figures with access to supernatural powers acquired through that connection to fairies. Some stories claim they could be capable of evil as well. We see no evidence of evil here, only of irreverence and fun. When the women cast their spell, they shoot off on broomsticks just like traditional witches. Seamus grabs Madge's cap and broomstick. Before he leaves, he curses Madge. Then the spell is cast and he's off on his own adventure. As a listener, we can't tell if his adventure is a drunken frenzy or if it's an adventure into some magical other world. All we know for sure is that Seamus is having a transformative experience, one in which he is wrongly accused when he is left alone in a nobleman's castle. And by all indication, he drank all the Lord's liquor. Where did those old women go? Why was he left alone? We can't tell if he's part of a prank or not. Even for the listener, this story is a bit disorienting. You just can't tell which end is up. Without even a trial, Seamus is condemned to death. No one believes his story. There is no such thing as an acid trip in the Middle Ages. Perhaps there is, but I don't know what herb would have been used. So without even a buy-you-leave, Seamus is placed in a prisoner cart and taken to the gallows. There they give him the obligatory time to make his statement. But before he even begins, someone cries out from the crowd, calling his name in his native language. He looks out and sees an old crumb. Now, this one is wise. Is it Madge? We don't know. But she does ask him if he plans to die without his red cap on. What a clever way to remind him that he still has access to magic. Then he remembers, asks for his hat, and ultimately says a spell that brings him home again. Now the Jungians who analyze this story might say that Seamus Rua's experience is one with the unconscious. His transformation is the breaking of a spell. Seamus has awakened to the female voice and the wise feminine. We might say he is seeing the world in a new way with a new perspective. He is saved through the hands of the feminine, the wise crone. When he returns, he is no longer simply the master of the manor. Instead, he has embraced his feminine side, the animal. And in so doing, his life will never ever be the same. The wise crone knows it's time for you to leave. Your journey home takes you back through the forest. It may at times be difficult, but no fear. Her final words to you are, Remember to stay on the path. Do not leave the path no matter what you see or experience. And so it was, and so it is. Thank you for listening. This podcast has been sponsored by Heart Symbol Publishing, where you'll find a wide variety of guided imagery downloads to achieve your goals and enhance your life. This is the storyteller, Kathy Shimpak. This podcast is narrated by Linda Bennett. 
Music is the Snow Queen by Kevin McLeod at Incompetet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. Stories by the Brother Grimm are in the public domain. Music